If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn in them this morning to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 24, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we do have some Bibles on the back cart and back table that you can use to follow along and would love for you to do that as we walk through uh, this passage together. We are in, those of you who uh, have been here a while, know that we are in between studies here at Ascension. Our normal practice is to study books of the Bible. We're in between studies at the moment, and it's always good. Somehow Nate Hitchcock always finds his way in between studies to the Psalter. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that I love, love the Psalms. And so you're not surprised that we would find our way here this morning. By my count, in the 11 years that I've been your pastor, we have covered 45 different Psalms together. It's a lot. But the even better news is there's still 105 to go. And so we're going to check one of those off today, and then we'll have 104 left after today, which will be great. Uh, before I read it this morning, as you're turning there, um, I want to give some background to this Psalm, Psalm 24. It's a familiar psalm, I suspect, to many of you who have been in the church for a while, have, been, have grown up in the church. Uh, this is a psalm of David, David the shepherd boy who became king. We studied him not too long ago, but it's a psalm of David that David wrote not just for his own personal use, but this is a psalm that David clearly wrote for the use of the congregation. We can tell pretty easily that this is a song. It's meant to be sung, as many psalms are. It's got echoes where the leader asks a question and the people respond with the answer. It's got this, uh, these musical rests that we find in other psalms as well. Noted there in your English translations as Selah. It was obviously sung by God's people, and we don't know exactly uh, when it was first sung by God's people. We can guess. We studied David recently. One of the passages that we looked at when we studied David was 2 Samuel 6, when the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, this beautifully ornate box filled with the relics of Israel's ancient history that God put his dwelling upon, it represented his presence with his people. And in 2 Samuel 6, we find the story of the Ark of the Covenant returning to Jerusalem after long being in the hands of God's enemies, the Philistines. And can you imagine the rejoicing that God's people experienced? So it was probably sung at an event like that, if not that event in particular, but then we have Jewish records of it being sung for generations upon generations after that. Various special occasions. There's even some evidence of it being sung eventually on the first day of every week, this psalm. And as it comes to us today, Jew and Gentile, people of the new covenant, as it comes to us today, it comes as a reminder and an encouragement of what is true. 
what we ought to be celebrating, what we have been celebrating, even in these opening minutes together. What we need to see and clearly see as we look out into our world. And so this is a song that I hope will stir your hearts this morning. It certainly has stirred my heart this week as I have enjoyed meditating upon it. As always, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, let me read it to you. It's not a long psalm, just ten verses, three stanzas. Listen as I read. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory of glory. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I read an article this week in which I learned that Chapman University, Chapman University recently released its annual report on American fears. I didn't know such a report existed. Maybe you didn't know such a report existed. I didn't read the entire report. It's actually quite lengthy, but I did take notice of the primary chart that lists the top 10 American fears of the past year. And I'd like to share with you the top five. We'll start with number five. 56% of participants acknowledged being afraid or very afraid of widespread civil unrest. Number four, 58% were afraid or very afraid of a loved one becoming seriously ill. Number three, 58% confessed to being afraid or very afraid of a loved one contracting COVID. Number two, 59% of Americans surveyed for this study said they were very afraid of people they loved dying. And then number one, 79% of American participants acknowledge being very afraid of corrupt government officials. It's an interesting list. An interesting top ten pretty much sums up the last 
couple years. We live in an anxious age, don't we? Despite being the wealthiest country on the planet in the most technologically advanced age ever, with a gluttony of information literally at our fingertips, having more control over our environment than we ever had before, with more advances in modern medicine than we have ever had in human history, we are still terribly afraid. Our world longs for hope. Our hearts, don't they, long for peace, for security. I want it. I need it. Is it possible? Yes. We're here to declare to our own hearts and to one another that we might go out in the world and declare to the world that yes, Hope and peace is possible in an anxious age. God's Word, specifically Psalm 24 this morning, seeks to realign our hearts, giving us the only thing, the only thing that can truly loosen the grip of fear on our world. And it's God Himself. And so let's set our hearts on the Lord for a few minutes. You see, if you've looked at the PDF that was sent out, you see that I've titled this sermon, Reordered Doxology. I've titled it that way because we need to turn our hearts, our worship, our focus away from ourselves, away from our comfort, away from our circumstances, to the God that we've gathered to worship today. It's as simple as that. And so I want to walk through this psalm for the next few minutes, praying that it encourages your heart. Three stanzas, three truths, and the first one is this. A life of hope, we'll start there, a life of hope confesses the Creator King. Verses 1 and 2. A life of hope confesses the Creator King. David reminds us. He reminds the people of God. He reminds the world, anyone listening, that the world is not crazy, spinning out of control. That the future is not grim and dark. Rather, verse 1, the earth is Yahweh's. And everything in it, everyone on it, To create something is to own it. And Yahweh owns it. Yahweh, this personal, powerful being, owns every patent, every copyright, every trademark. But you see, for the people of Israel, in their time and place, this song reminded this, this small nation on the earth that God had placed His favor upon them. And that this God, this God who called Himself Yahweh, I am who I am, was not some local deity who was trapped in some jurisdiction. No. He was the deity from whom all stories descend. Every story that had ever been written, even the false stories about other gods, were simply echoes, 
imitations of Yahweh. And the same is true for this little gathering. This little gathering of 100 people or however many people are here in Edmonds, Washington. Yahweh, our God, reigns. And He reigns not just in our safe homes, not just in the walls of this comfortable place, but out there in the turmoil, in the mess. Psalm 95 expresses the same, verses 3-5, through for Yahweh is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also His. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Verse 2 in this song, this poem of, of David, gives us this picture of the land floating upon the seas. To the ancient mind, the seas and rivers and the water was chaos. It was mystery. And yet Yahweh, throughout human history, throughout the Old Testament, speaks into that. In Genesis 1, verse 2, the earth was formless without void. The Spirit was hovering over the waters of chaos. Yahweh speaks and gives shape. In Psalm 46.3, the waters roar and foam. Yahweh brings refuge and strength. In Isaiah 57.20, the prophet writes, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and Yahweh's hand of judgment makes silent. The point is this. The world that we live in has stability to it because of the one who made it. Because of the one who still reigns over it. And this isn't, this isn't just a past thing. The first verb that we find in verse 2, translated as founded in our English translations, it certainly has that sense of past, completed action. But the second Hebrew verb, translated as established, is a different verb form that suggests a continuing action. In other words, the Creator King hasn't just spun this world up and left it to its own devices. No, He sustains it by His all-powerful Word. And so David reminds God's people, the Holy Spirit reminds God's people this morning that we need not fear. We need not fear untimely deaths. We need not fear the terrorists. We need not fear the viruses. We need not fear the, co the corrupt politicians. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we ought not be concerned about these things or that we ought not take action against these things. The character of God doesn't call us to apathy or recklessness. That's not what I'm saying. To the contrary, God's Word calls us to wisdom and conviction but what i am saying is that when when god is in his proper place when reverent fear of him is our controlling principle this is where wisdom is found proverbs 1 verse 7 and ultimately this is where hope is found 
In our anxieties, we make ourselves too big. We do this constantly. I do this. We think we're the center of the universe. We think it's all about us. And we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're in control. And so Psalm 24 realigns us and says, we need to confess the Creator King. Brothers and sisters, I know it's one thing to know this intellectually, which I know most of you, and I know most of you know this intellectually. You've heard some form of this exhortation in your lives, but how hard it is to apply it practically when life sucks, when life is hard, when life is scary, in the unknown and in the mystery, do we really believe that God is in control? And even more than that, do we really believe that our God is good? And that's where David leads us next as we move on to the second stanza, beginning with verse 3, and the second truth I'd like us to meditate on, and it's this. Not only does a life of hope confess the Creator King, but a life of peace trusts in the Gospel alone. A life of peace trusts in the Gospel alone. The issue of, the issue of accessibility in our day and age is big. I suppose it has been in human history, all of human history to some degree, in some way. We've got our security clearances, we've got our levels of achievement and recognition necessary for a variety of things. In, in the corporate world, you guys or gals who work in the corporate world, you can't just go into your boss's 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 office and sit down and lay out all your grievances, can you? It's not that easy to do. None of us can walk into the Oval Office tomorrow and give President Biden our thoughts on how he's doing running the country. Well, verse 3 in this psalm lays down the gauntlet when it comes to Yahweh, the Creator King. As we might suspect, as we've just confessed Him to be, we can't just walk up to this God and air our grievances in His presence. Right? No, we can't. This God is different. This God is set apart. This God is holy. And your clearance to be in His presence, to receive His blessing, requires at least three things, David says. It requires purity. Not just outward purity, represented by clean hands, but an inward purity, a pure heart. You must have an innocence and a clean track record. In all of your doings, in all of your dealings, you need purity, you need loyalty, you need an absolute single minded devotion to this God. You must, have, you must turn away from all other idols, all other competitions for worship and for life, and be absolutely loyal to Him. You've got to be pure. You've got to be loyal. And you've got to have integrity. You've got to have truth in all of your dealings, past, present, and future. It 
So even if I knew Joe Biden, President Biden, and he knew me because of who he is, I can't just show up into his office without a shower as one of his political opponents who has gone against his agenda particularly or repeatedly and even worse, written lies about him in my local home newspaper. But these three brief things that David gives us in Psalm 24, perhaps they, there's echoes of something else that you remember in your reading and study of God's Word, because these are just a thumbnail sketch of what we find in Psalm 15. Let me read it to you. You can flip there with me. O Yahweh, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly, who does what is right, who speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe at the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. Well, well, shoot, this is not even, this is not more encouraging. This doesn't bode well for you and I. So where's the peace? Well, the peace is here. It's just in shadowy Form. Verse 5, notice, notice where the righteousness comes from. It comes from Yahweh. It comes from the God of our salvation. So even as David cries out, he who does not lift up his soul, this Hebrew expression that speaks of directing one's desire. As David cries out, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Even in that phrase, he shows us where to look. But we've got to look ahead. If you have your Bibles open, look at the next psalm, the very next psalm, verse 1. To you, Yahweh, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Verse 6 of Psalm 25. I look to your mercy and your steadfast love, Yahweh. Verse 7 of Psalm 25. To your goodness, which doesn't remember the sins of my past. In other words, David is not hoping in himself. He's not resting in his own purity and loyalty and integrity. He's not seeking peace in the cleanness of his hands. He's trusting in the God of salvation, the God of steadfast love, Yahweh who has entered into covenant with his people. He's trusting in that God to provide what he needs. Ultimately, David's looking to Jesus. He's looking to Jesus. Because Jesus is the Creator King who upholds all things, Colossians 1 says. Jesus is the one who upholds the universe. Chris read it earlier from Hebrews 1. And Jesus is the one whose clean hands and pure heart become ours as we look to the God 
of grace. You see, friends, a a reordered doxology turns from self and achievement and fear of man and fixes its eyes and its heart on Jesus, the one who offers his righteousness before a holy God, the one who has absorbed the wrath that you and I deserve. And so ultimately, a life of peace looks to the gospel again and again and again. Because through the gospel, we can air our grievances. We can stand before the Creator King and be assured that He is good despite the mystery and the frustration that we see around us. In an article I read this week, it referenced a commencement speak, a speech uh, given back in 2005 by an American novelist, David Foster Wallace. I'm not familiar with him. Maybe some of you are familiar with him. He wasn't a Christian at the time when he spoke it. He's now passed away. But his words that were spoken to this audience of college kids were really striking. I want to read them to you. Just a portion of his speech. Having in your mind this idea of of a reordered doxology. He says this at this commencement speech. "The, The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, you will never have enough. You worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect and you will end up feeling like a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is They're unconscious. They are our default settings. What an amazing thing for an unbeliever to say. Amazingly insightful words that remind us of the truth that we find here. A life of peace is found in looking to the God of the gospel. This isn't wishful thinking. These aren't just hopeful ancient words. Now Jesus proved that he could be believed because he rose from the grave. He took care of the greatest fear that grips all of us in the world. The fear of death, it's gone because of Jesus. So what do we do now? What's left to do? Well, let me suggest that the last stanza of our psalm as we close our time together in Psalm 24 directs us to do this. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads. 
As Israel approached the gates of Jerusalem, you can, you can see it and you can hear it, that scene in your, in your, in your mind's eye. As, Jerusalem, as uh, Israel approaches Jerusalem, be lifted up, O ancient doors. The King of glory is here. Yahweh is back. Who is this King of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty. Yahweh, mighty in battle. You see, as they approach the gates of the city and the security that those gates provide for the city, recognition of the glory that is at the door demands entrance. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the God of angel armies. His is the victory. But notice how David phrases it. Lift up your heads, O you gates. The gates are summoned to open, yes, but so are the eyes of God's people. It reminds me of of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It reminds me of Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Why so much turmoil within you? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Or Jesus' words in John 14, before He left this earth, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. Brothers and sisters, this is more than just keep your chin up, guys. Keep your chins up. No. God's Word is saying, lift up your heads. Look at your God. His is the victory. His is the strength. His is the power. And because of that, we, we are not like the world. We are not like the world. We can be a people different than our neighbors who are gripped by so many fears. We confess a Creator King that gives us hope. We trust a good news that brings us peace. Light has come into darkness. And He is coming again. Yahweh dwelt dwelt with Israel in this original psalm, dwelt in the ark as it entered the city of Jerusalem with them. Fast forward hundreds of years and the Creator King will enter Jerusalem again. But this time He will come to die, to atone for sin. as the people who praised Him at His entrance turn on Him. And yet it's because of that work, it's because of His resurrection that we know that He will return again. And it won't be just to Jerusalem, to that little city in the Middle East. It'll be to the sanctuary that He owns. The earth. His house. His dominion. When the Son of Man comes in glory, He will sit and He will reign on His throne forever and ever. It's as certain as the sunrise. And it gives us reason to look up. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads with hope, with peace, with expectancy. That's the message of Psalm 24 this morning.
I want to close with a poem. I know Psalm 24 is a poem in and of itself, but I like poetry. I can't write poetry, but I like it. I like to read it. And this is one of my favorite modern day poets. He's a British, British fella, Anglican priest. He writes this about Psalm 24. The sources of its sin in every part and in the whole, its weariness and stain. Who can ascend? I cannot even start. But even as I fear, my hopes are vain. My Savior comes. His love revives my hope. I feel Him search my wounds, deal with my pain, and offer me again the healing cup. Raising my head, He says, now rise with me. The gates will open for us both. Look up. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, which is exactly what we need. It's a, it's a balm for our souls. In a world seemingly gone awry, we need to be reminded that the earth is Yours, Yahweh, and everything in it. That You are good. And that though there is mystery, though Your ways are not our ways, we can trust You. We can keep our heads high because the victory is ours. When You come again with Your with Your heavenly host to establish finally and fully Your reign on this earth, we are allowed to be part of that. We need not fear that. But we can look to expect with expectancy because of Jesus and because of who he is and so i pray that as we go from this place that we would go with psalm 24 ringing in our ears stirring our hearts squelching our fears and our anxieties to a watching world that needs hope that needs peace. Oh, Father, make it so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.